Okay, this is the first session, the breakout of the GMHC. Uh, my name is Tim Williams. I am president of Empower Approach. It's a, a 501c3 uh, mission organization that goes around the world teaching empowering techniques. That's the only bit of uh, proprietary thing you're going to hear. Most of this is general principles, okay? Uh, I'm interactive. I'm also on faculty at uh, University of Tennessee Medical Center in Knoxville. It's a GPR residency. It's a dental residency. And uh, I'm used to working with students, and I'm used to interaction. So if you have a question, if you uh, have a comment, uh, don't want to argue, but we can argue later, uh, raise your hand and just ask your question. I'll repeat it, and then we'll go from there, okay? All right, so let's open with a word of prayer, okay? Heavenly Father, thank you for this day. I thank you for these people that brave the cold and the rain to come learn more about what you're doing around the world. I thank you for the students that are in this room uh, and their willingness to learn in advance what you're doing for, uh, for people around the world who are hurting. Uh, give us attentive ears. Uh, Father, give me... Uh, the ability to step away from who I am. Father, just ask your Holy Spirit to indwell me. Speak through me so that these people can hear your message for your kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Come on in and have a seat, guys. Um, a, a quick survey. Now, I've already been around the room a little bit and talked to some of you. How many people in here are actually DDSs, dentists, or dental hygienists, or personnel already in a dental practice? Fantastic. How many of you are students, dental students or undergrad students who want to be a dentist or a dental personnel when you grow up? Yeah, a few. Okay. That's yeah, okay. Raise your hand. I'm not going to call on you. I promise I won't make you stand up and introduce yourself. I won't do that to you. Okay. Uh, how many people are here with uh, that have heard me speak before or who know me from mission trips? I know Elise is, and I see several. Hey, I see several friends in the audience, and they're here for moral support. So if I go down, they can step up and just fill in the blanks. Okay, so what we're going to talk about today then is sh empowering methods for short-term dental missions. Last year when I spoke here, we were talking about just general broad category. This is a bit more focused on dentistry. If you have questions that branch away from that, feel free to ask them. We can talk about it. Uh, we partner with uh, many different groups of people in the medical field. And also, uh, we we're in a meeting this morning, we may be starting to partner with agricultural ministries. So uh, we're very open to partnership opportunities. The goal of everything we do and everything I say, if you want to hear one thing and take away one thing, take this away. We are all about reaching people with the gospel of Jesus Christ uh, we can heal their dental pain, we can heal their medical pain, we can feed them, but if we don't feed their soul the bread of life, they're going to go to an everlasting separation from God. So if you take one thing away, uh, everything, probably the entire conference probably is going to be everything we do, we want to do to point people to Christ. Okay. Now, the only statistics you're going to see are on this slide. Okay. This is short-term missions in America, and I'll just let you know on the front end, Research has shown that 96.7% of all statistics are made up, okay? Uh, I don't think this one is, but just use common sense. In 2005, over 1.7 million adults went on short-term mission trips, both in America and around the world, spending $2.4 billion. That doesn't count the 15 to 21-year-olds, of which over 40% of the American population has been on some sort of religious project. doesn't mean they may be Christian, this may have been a sponsored religious or service humanitarian project. 
um, where the statistic is exactly accurate is really to me irrelevant because what it does tell me is we spend an inordinate amount of time and an inordinate amount of money going around the world and around the nation spreading the gospel. Now, that's a good thing, right? I think it is a good thing because at least people are going, now, that's all you're going to hear or see about statistics. It won't be on the test, so you don't have to remember it. Just know we spend a lot of time and resource ongoing, okay? And traditionally, this is what ministry has looked like. And you're going to get a little bit of my story as I speak, okay? This is my first foray into international missions. Uh, My wife and I, about uh, five years ago, maybe, something like that, went on to uh, South India, to Bangalore, on a traditional mission trip. And for the students in the room, traditionally what that means, and when you get in dental school, you'll do this probably, uh, you will go and you will extract teeth in some remote area of either the U.S. or the world. And you will set up under a tree, or in this case in a little dirt courtyard, and work, and work, and work, and work. It has its advantages, but as you're going to see, there are some disadvantages. This is traditionally what it's looked like. We go, we do the Americans go do, the locals help, okay? And you can see uh, our translator here, very helpful, okay? Which we obviously need translators in parts of the world we go to. And is there anything wrong with that? I say, really? It's arguable, but there are some advantages, and let's talk about them. We can use our skills, those of us who are uh, dental personnel, hygienists, assistants, dentists, since this is the title of the talk, We can take our specific skills and we can help a lot of people. I can promise you I can take out teeth really, really, really fast. Just got back from Brazil and I think I took out 100 teeth in three days. And that was including presenting the gospel and the whole thing. So it can happen. So a lot of work can get done, okay? We can do it in a short amount of time. And we can actually take our money and our supplies into places that may have need, okay? Uh, And... And this is really important, I think, when you start thinking about young people. A global view of need can be gained that wouldn't have been possible staying at home. On our first trip to India, I was astounded at what I saw. It was not what I'd read. It wasn't what I'd imagined. And so it did open my eyes, okay? But there are disadvantages that go alongside that. And I think you're going to see, as I talk, where my interests fall, okay? Uh, The disadvantages are... Our skill may not really be needed where we go, okay? Uh, Sometimes we can go into an area where there already are dentists, but for whatever reason, the people are not being taken there or they can't go there, whatever. We come in and we supplant the dentists in the field in the country, the local local, uh, workforce, and that can cause some problems when we're gone if we're not careful. Not only that, if we go and we do a lot of extractions and there's complications, then sometimes these people end up, at these dentist's offices, and the dentist doesn't have any idea what's going on. And that really can sometimes negatively impact the local ministry that we're actually trying to help. Okay, So that is a potential disadvantage. The money, and this is a real big one, and I really didn't grasp this. The money can uh, cause dependence. I really didn't grasp this initially. Uh, I went uh, with a giving heart and a giving spirit, and we helped a lot of people, and we saw uh, intense poverty and uh, made some intense errors. Now, we didn't hand money out to people on the street, but we did give some money to the ministry there. And what that did is it fostered a dependence, okay? Because face it, guys, we're in America. We have wealth, okay? We have a GDP higher than, well, I think China just passed us last week on overall GDP. 
but individual wages are highest in the world. And we are a giving nation. If nothing else, America is known as a giving nation around the world. Okay? The problem with that is some of the places we go to know that. And it may be with all great intention, but they're very, they become very dependent on the influx of American money, both from a ministry standpoint and from an individual standpoint when we interact and connect one-on-one with the people that we are there to help. Is that a bad thing? I think it is. Because what's going to happen if something happens to uh, our economy? What happens if for some reason something happens to you and you no longer have the source of income that was helping a ministry that you were working with one-on-one? Does the ministry fail? It might. And so there are some disadvantages that go along with that. Another thing, the supplies we bring into the country definitely takes money out of the pockets of local businesses. Okay, I just got back uh, from uh, China and we were... It was not a working trip. It was a visit there with some partners. And um, we were able to find almost anything one would need to do a ministry. Um, And so rather than go do and take all this stuff in and leave it, we're going to try to buy things when we go there. It just makes sense if you think about it. Okay, we can support the local economy. That does a lot of things. It really takes empowering beyond just Christian scope, but it takes it to a global scope, which sometimes can uh, help a local ministry. Because what we try to do is we don't walk into a situation. Most people, Americans, when we go, we don't just walk in cold to an area and go, hey, we're here to save the day, let's work. Sometimes our attitudes may convey that. But that's not our attitude deep down. But what happens is we go in and we think we're actually going to uh, do a lot of good by bringing our, our modern techniques, our modern medicines, our modern supplies. And in fact, a lot of that stuff could be bought there. And when you can buy it there, it helps the local economy. And if the governments know we're there, sometimes that can buy a lot of favor for the local ministries that we work with once we're gone. Okay, and you're going to see how we do this in just a bit. So even if we do see all the positives, and there's no real harm to the community, and this is the thing that drove it home to me, what happens when we leave? When we're there for a week or ten days or what happened, what happens to the people we can't see? What happens to the people that we saw that might have a problem? You know, if the dentists in the room know this. Sometimes you take a tooth out, everything goes great, and it still falls apart due to host factors or what have you. Uh, the other question I ask is, what is the, our effect? What is the effect that we have on the people that we're working with in the local congregation? And that's just something that we need to consider when we go and we do, because sometimes um, that has negative impact. Okay, So in reality, although a lot of good has been done through the years, for the last hundred years, we have done a lot of good around the world through short-term mission work. In the last 40 years, for sure, Since the advent of air travel, short-term ministry has really skyrocketed, right? Before you had to take a boat and you weren't, short-term meant a year or two. Now short-term can mean two weeks. Um, Even though a lot of good has been done, a lot of times it's outweighed by the harm that's done. And so for you young people in the room, for sure, I want you to consider this. When you go or you're invited to go, you've got to be really careful of what impact you're having on the local ministry and the local people that you're working with when you go. Okay? Uh, How is that? Some things that happen, and we've seen this, and I've seen this played out and reinforced uh, just as recently as July. Uh, what happens is the local believers disengage because we have a ton of technology, we have a lot of knowledge, okay, and if we're not really careful, even if we invite them to help us, which happens because 
we want to establish a relationship. But what happens is our technology skill and money just kind of overwhelms some of them. They just kind of pull away. Okay, so the pastor of the church we were at in South America uh, just recently basically disappeared. Uh, I mean, he was around, but he wasn't doing anything. He was just kind of in the background. He didn't take a lead role. And he completely disengaged. And guess what? The members of his church that saw him disengaged, they did the same thing. And so basically what you have is a group of Americans doing ministry. Um, That's good while we're there, but as soon as we left, the impact was basically over. Um, And here's the other thing. Sometimes the people we help get a wrong message. They love our services. They'll take what we give them. But they really have no interest in an American God. Uh, you can pick the culture. Uh, you can does it matter across the world? Uh, and there's anecdotal stories uh, that I'll uh, not bore you with. But uh, people get saved seven or eight times just to get the clothes. That kind of thing happens. Okay. And so we've got to be very careful. What kind of message are we sending? Uh, this has happened in uh, in Africa on a trip. There was bitterness and violence if we left before everyone needed to be seen. They were breaking down fences to try to get in because they were hurting and there was no one to help them and there was no one that's going to be there to help them and violence broke out. And even worse, the local believers that we work with and engage, they start to feel inadequate. Okay, So that when we do leave, many, many times they think or there's discouragement that enters that village or that area or that local church that says we can't do anything, we don't have the money, so why try? Okay, so let me show you, this came from a friend, Um, this is not my original thought, but it makes a lot of sense, this concentric circle of ministry effectiveness, okay, our goal is to hit the bullseye with our people groups that we want to reach, okay, traditionally, uh, you two two goofy white guys, they go out and they do the best they can, we hit the ground, we go into an area, um, we just do our job, do the best we can do, and try to get things done. As you get closer to the target, though, what you want to start seeing is effectiveness in ministry, and that's a near-cultural foreigner that comes into an area. And that would be an example of a Taiwanese believer going into, say, uh, central China and sharing with a non-believing Muslim. Okay. Uh, the other one, as you get closer to the target, is the near-culture. An example there would be a Ugandan Christian sharing with a, non, a, a not yet believing Muslim in Uganda. You're starting to see cultural similarities and they have the ability to relate better. But by far the easiest is going to be a same culture. And when we can get former Hindus sharing with other Hindus, you can really start to see impact. Okay, uh, That's what we want to strive for. Now, can we get that always? No, we can't. Many times the best we can do is get near a culture. Okay? Uh, but... Uh, if we can get anywhere in this area, you have more success. Certainly more success than on the outer, outer rim of our target because we don't have cultural relevance many times. Now, it can be learned over many years, but even the people that have been in the field many, many years will tell you, and this is where this came, by the way, is that they don't have near the impact when they go into community as the people that have the same culture that saw what Jesus Christ could do in their lives in their culture. It just was more relevant. It had more impact. Okay, So is there a better way? So what if, instead of going and doing, we go and teach? We get closer to the target if we can teach the same culture people. Uh, instead of showing others an American God, why don't we allow our local believers to do that? Why don't we partner with local churches, train them to do the work, 
and then they can go do the work in our absence. So instead of being disengaged, they become empowered. Instead of standing back and watching us and becoming more and more discouraged, we start to see them engage and become encouraged and actually take a role in the community that um, would never have been possible otherwise. Instead of providing care for a week or two, what happens if we let the local believers train and just stay where they are? Or even better, they can reach out to other people groups in their area 52 weeks a year when we're not there. What would that look like? This is what that looks like. This is one of our instructors. And uh, I think this is Uganda. This is the training we were doing. And um, you may be wondering, the dentist in the room, This is our, we've got two dental slides, okay, so... If you're not a dentist yet, this is, won't bore you with this either, uh, but you will learn it. Okay, This is the anatomy of the head and neck, and this is part of our teaching material that we go over with. We actually, yes, the, another question we have is do we actually teach people how to numb? And the answer is yes, we do. Okay, It is teachable. It's a teachable skill. Okay, And so we do teach them. That's just an example. Okay, We're not going through the curriculum. We're not going to teach you to be dentists today. Um, and this is the result. What don't you see in this picture? You don't see me, right? You don't see me. Am I close? Yeah, I'm real close. I'm standing holding the camera. I'm taking the picture, okay? And my interaction is basically limited to that. Uh, this is also, this is in another part of Uganda. This is in northern. Elise, no, you weren't on this trip with us, Elise. Um, this is another example. Uh, again, look closely. What don't you see? You don't see an American anywhere. Okay, maybe, but I don't think so. Um, and this is maybe one of my favorite examples, and you were on this trip, Elise. I do know that. Um, these are two of the students that we trained to extract teeth. And, of course, the patient, you can see, checking me out. Uh, but this man here is named Peter, and I'll come back to Peter in just a moment. Um, Peter had been trained four years prior by, uh, to do extractions, by Empower, and um, I'll get his life change story to you in a moment, but now Peter actually teaches. He's there by my side when I'm doing the clinicals because, frankly, Peter can take teeth out better than I can. That's just the bottom line, and I'm not that bad at it, but he is that good at it. He does it all day. He does it three days a week. Okay. Now, this is the guy you see. This is a white guy. Okay. What this white guy is doing, this is a very young dentist. He's a brand-new dentist, actually. Uh, this was in, uh, in the slums of Nairobi, Kenya, uh, we are teaching uh, not extractions in this clinic. We are actually teaching uh, community dental health awareness. Okay, and how this works is, and, and when when empowering groups go, uh, most of us take this vision. We don't go in with all the expertise, and we're going to tell people how we're going to do things. We want to meet with the ministries on the ground, find out the needs of their community. Okay, the need in this community was not necessarily extractions. They needed a vehicle to reach into the homes in the slums, and the easiest way to do that was to go door-to-door and teach the kids how to brush their teeth. Okay, Because remember, we're not there to just clean their teeth. We're there to introduce them to the one who can change their heart. Okay, That's the go-back-to ministry. That's what we do. And these guys actually, after we taught them, they applied fluoride. They went through brushing and flossing technique. Um, 
they actually came up with the recall system themselves. I didn't talk about recall. If there's any hygienists in the room, you know what recall is. If you're a person in this room that goes to the dentist, you know what recall is. You go every six months, the dentist cleans and flosses your teeth and gives you a new toothbrush and toothpaste, right? I didn't know how that would look in this environment. But at the end of the time we were teaching, they came up and said, hey, I know how we can do something. If we have a piece of paper and we write down the names of everybody in the home, we can go back in six months and just touch them and know that, let them know that we're back and make sure everything's okay and we can share the gospel again. And I was floored. Because guess what? This didn't come from American expertise. This came from people who live every single day within this area. Uh, this pastor actually grew up in the slum and he got it they know what their people need and they knew exactly how to reach them didn't go in with some grandiose plan we just basically taught them what to do and this is one of my favorite pictures this is a little boy this is the pastor he's in this community all the time right so all the little kids when they see not just us but something free they all come running most of them have never seen a toothbrush before um and he was excited And so the vehicle that we used in this case was dental health education. Thinking that if we can get to the children, the parents are going to hear it eventually, right? Well, I can give you the short story there. Uh, The parents not only heard it, uh, this is another one of our pastors, uh, a couple of our pastors, and they are actually teaching under a tree, the dental hygiene module. Uh, The mothers, by the end of the morning actually, the little kids had run home with their toothbrushes and Mama wanted to know where they came from. They told them and they came to the church. The mamas came back to the church and they got to hear the gospel that day. So uh, the question I have is, are there limitations? Are there limitations to what we can do? I think we can certainly teach extractions. Right? Can we uh, teach hygiene? I can tell you, yes, we are teaching hygiene, okay? Um, We can definitely do dental health education. Um, Can we do restorative in the field? Is anyone in the room doing restorative in the field? Dr. Gibbons? Elise is doing restorative. So, yeah, that can be taught. That can be a passed-on skill, okay? It certainly can. It's being done. We have the module to. Um, How about... um, Removable pros. That's dentures, by the way, for the students. Can you make dentures in the field? We're working on it. We're working on the official module and how to make that happen, okay? So, just in, certainly in dentistry, uh, almost anything that we can do here, we can teach. Uh, personally, personally wouldn't feel comfortable teaching endodontics or root canal therapy, okay? But I would be amiss, remiss if I didn't think that some of the doctors maybe in this room have passed that skill along. Last year when I was speaking, I was uh, flabbergasted when I asked the question, are there limitations on what can be done in medical or dental? And a gentleman came up from Nigeria and had trained people to do uh, eye procedures, eye surgeries. Uh, And so I just basically keep my mouth shut now when I ask this question, what can be taught or are there any undoable things? Because I'm astounded at what God can do. Okay, so how will it work long term? Well, how do you define long term? At this point in the program, I would usually introduce uh, one of our partners, Francis Bucacci, but Francis is talking down the down the hall about this very same thing. Probably Francis is in Ghana, and um, 
he's been doing this for six years. Is that correct, Linda? Six years? They've been doing this ministry, so we know not only does it work, but it's vibrant. Okay? It is a vibrant ministry. And so, yes, it can work long term. Um, I won't get, I won't get too detailed about the progressions that we go through because then it starts to get, uh, boring. Okay? But I will tell you this, there are innumerable ways to empower locals. Now we're talking strictly about dentistry this morning or this afternoon. And in that regard, I have some knowledge. I've done it. I've done it both ways. I've gone and I've done and I've worked and I've extracted and I've shared the gospel. And I walk away feeling good, like we all do, feeling tired. But after my first trip, I came back. I'm thinking there's got to be a better way. Is there a more effective way for us to take care of people's needs and relieve their health? Because we're healthcare people. That's why we do what we do. We have the need to do it here and around the world. But is there a way that we can do this better that's going to be both sustainable and repeatable? And I can tell you without a doubt that going and teaching people in five days how to clean teeth, how to extract teeth, hopefully how to soon do removable, it works. I've seen it work. Okay. Now, does it work strictly by the power of human hands and human ingenuity? I can promise you no. Okay. I'm not smart enough to teach someone how to take a tooth out, how to numb someone, how to do a history, how to do sterilization in a five-day period. Okay? But I have a great physician who lives within me and in every believer that we train that has more than adequately shown up every single time we have been. The power of the Holy Spirit is far exceeding anything that we can do. And I've seen it work and work and work. I have story after story after story of how impactful empowering can be when you pass along a skill that you have. Now, I grew up uh, as a young as a young believer. Uh, I did the uh, middle class Christian thing. Went to church uh, three times a week. Tithed, uh, served, and it may not know it now, but I have a pretty good singing voice. Vince Gill, I'm not, or Luke Bryan, I'm not. But I just knew that God was going to use me and my singing voice to reach the world for Him. This will prove to you I'm not the sharpest pencil in the crayon drawer, okay? I just knew it until I go on my first trip and sing, and guess what? Nobody in Bangalore, India speaks English. So all my great praise hymns, How Great Is Our God, falls a little flat when you're singing it in English, and they don't know. But then suddenly... I go to extract teeth and I'm able to, to, to take away pain and we can share with the people how God can take away their pain. Even on a doing trip, I realize there's a better way to do this. So God can use my hands and I'm telling you that God can use your hands. He can use your knowledge, but don't go thinking it's going to be you. You have to pray and God, through the power of His Holy Spirit, does a mighty, mighty work. I encourage the students in this room, go and love people. But go and love people through the power of the Holy Spirit. It makes a tremendous difference in what you do. Now let me tell you about Peter, and I'll uh, wrap it up and take some questions. Peter, about four or five years ago, was uh, 
basically a subsistence farmer. He depended on handouts. He was a church member. Uh, he would uh, he went to church. He was a believer, uh, but he was a pa- and he was a pastor. But in this in his culture, pastors didn't make a lot of money, and in that culture, a lot of times they were persecuted. Okay, and as a result, Peter was bar- barely making it by. So four or five years ago, Empower goes to, and he was chosen to be trained by his ministry on the ground. He was trained to do extractions. Peter had a gift. Peter has a gift to do extractions. Um, he's very good at it. He has the hands. Nanny Dennis in the room, or any hygienist in the room is already going to know some people have hands. Okay, This guy had hands. He was very, very good. Um, we trained him. The ministry uh, had purchased the chair and the dental instruments that are used in the module, and Peter went to work. Um, in the four years period of time, he has come back to help us as we teach on follow-ups and on other trainings. He would come and work with us. And what happened was, and we get to follow up with Peter closely over the years, is he went from a subsistence farmer uh, who was a devout lover of God in an, air, in an area, to now he rides his bike with his dental chair strapped onto it. He has eight different churches now, I think, in the, in the surrounding villages from where he lives. Uh, oh, we teach them to take, they get paid. So he now has enough money coming in that he's no longer a subsistence farmer, uh, but he has a nicer home. Uh, he is able to provide for his children to go to school. He wants his children to go to university, and he can afford that now because in this culture it wasn't free. You have to pay a substantial amount of money. He now has that wherewithal. Okay. Oh, and here's the good news. This guy's an evangelist first. He takes his skill. He goes to a village. He sets up under a tree with his dental chair, and people come to him, and he will preach the gospel and the good news of Jesus Christ and then he will heal their pain. And what is it that Jesus said when he sent out his disciples? Go, heal the sick, cast out demons, and proclaim the coming kingdom of God. Guys, that's what it's about. That hit a bullseye. Because now Peter is sharing in his language, in his culture, and with his gifts, things that I couldn't do. Things that you couldn't do because, number one, you don't know the culture. You don't know the language. And even if you know the language, you come from a different place. There's the bottom line. And I think that's where the life change happens. Because now Peter, uh, when he goes to train, we saw this on my last trip uh, to Uganda. Peter, uh, we're riding the bus home and Peter wasn't asking. The question the dentist always wants to know is, hey, how'd you guys do? Did all the teeth come out okay, right? Well, we're riding back to village, to our hotel, and Peter says, how many people got saved today? How many people did you tell about Jesus today? There's the difference in focus. I didn't have that. And and it's just an amazing thing to watch happen. The transformation is truly, truly amazing. All right, so I'll open the floor to questions. Uh, I have as much time as we need. I think we have 15 or 20 minutes. Um, Any questions about how we do things? Uh, or how anything would work. Just raise your hand and shout it out if you do. Yes, Steve. How the students are selected. Okay, how, how the students are selected 
is left to the local ministry that we work with. We send a checklist of things that uh, we would like to have in a student. It would be preferable if they spoke English, although that's not definitely required. We take translators or translators are supplied to us. Okay, uh, we like it if they're able to read. Okay, because it's going to make it easier to teach. Okay, that's one way Peter was selected. Um, there, are, there is a set of criteria. It's not an exorbitant set of criteria. Uh, obviously, the very first thing we require is that they're a believer in Jesus Christ. Okay, it goes back to the goal. Our goal is to reach others for Jesus Christ, and so it's imperative that we work with believers. Okay, so we really sit down with the ministry that we're going to be working with on the ground in whatever country it is. We go through the requirements, what it is that we like to see in students. Okay, and then the next question is, does everybody finish? I'll fill that blank in for you. No, not everyone gets it. Not everyone has the dexterity necessary. Not everyone found this out on one of the trips I went on. Not everyone has the good eyes to do it. We didn't. We had one guy struggling and found out. He just couldn't see. He was about my age, and you guys, if you've watched, you've seen me use these. He didn't have any. And so it took, we were two days into the course before we realized that he couldn't see. So we got us some glasses, and uh, he, didn't, he didn't get a certificate that time. Okay, But we have a criteria laid out that we work with our local partners. And the local partner does a selection, though. Okay, We, we, uh, we don't go and look at people and say, no, you're in or you're out. It's a good question, though. Yes? I, I truly understand and I, I agree with what you're saying, but uh, maybe you're going to different areas of the country and the world, and everything, but how do you get around the governmental requirements? You know, that's a really good question. And no, we're probably, we may be going to different areas of the world, but that's always an issue. That is one, uh, the question is for the recording how do we get around the government health ministries or the different governmental agencies? that are in the countries we go to. And the answer to that is not a simple one. We actually, the, 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 the quick short answer is we work with the on-the-ground ministry and they are responsible for communicating with the ministries of health or the local authorities and, and people groups like, and the groups that are going to be monitoring that. Okay, now... Do I go in and say, hey, if you guys haven't contacted them, we're out of here? No, I don't. I don't. But I can tell you how this works. Uh, we don't go train people where there's a large group of dentists available. Okay? Uh, and you guys that have traveled the world know there are areas in this world that there is not a dentist. Okay? I, I told you I was going to give you one slide of statistics, and that's all you're going to see. But there is a report out that has a dentist-to-patient ratios from all the countries, particularly in Africa. And in Ghana, where we do have a ministry, I was telling you about earlier, I think the dentist-patient ratio there is something like 1 to 800,000 or maybe 1 to a million. Okay, So it's not like there's a dentist on every corner. Uh, it's, also, it's also something we found is the government, once they find out what we're doing, is quite comfortable with us training locals to do the work. Because if we can show and demonstrate, which we have demonstrated repeatedly, how qualified these people are that we train are, then the government's quite comfortable taking credit for bringing dental care to their village. Okay, We saw this in India. And as you know, India is largely a Hindu society still, 2% Christian and most the countrywide. 
Uh, and yet, when we went into the villages of India to work, we had no resistance. There would be no dentists in the village anywhere. Okay, And yet, we're bringing Indian pastors, they knew they were Christian, in to do extractions. And... Uh, the Ministry of Health at that time was not involved, but the mayor of the city turned out. The mayor of the city came out and not only saw what we were doing, he welcomed us, shook our hands, had photo ops with all of us, including the Indian, uh, the dental health workers we had trained, because he knew that his people were getting cared for. And of course the voters got to see him with the, with the people. So it was an inadvertent symbiotic relationship, but nonetheless, it worked out very well. Um, we have story after story of how God has intervened in those issues. Okay, But now I will tell you there are times that we go and we train them and the government may step in and stop them. That happened in Kenya not too long ago and we're trying to work to rectify some of those issues. Because in Kenya, I can assure you, there is a shortage of dentists, not in the cities, but in the outlying areas of Kenya. And so the people are doing egregious things to themselves to try to relieve dental pain. Okay, our job is to try to go relieve that. And so whatever we can do to work to help them there is that's what we're going to be striving to do. Um, did that answer your question? I think so. Okay. Uh, the best we've done so far in, in trying to do the same thing is scholarships. Uh, take someone there on the ground, uh, get them to a dental school, and uh, train them. Yes, the comment was um, his success, most success has been found by providing scholarships for a student to go to the, the government dental school. And it does take time and it does take money. And that is a, a viable way to do it. Unfortunately, most of the places we go, the people we work with don't have the required education to even qualify to go to university. Even if we had the money, they wouldn't be able to go. Not to mention the fact the shortage of dentists or dental health workers. We don't call them dentists, by the way. They are dental health workers or dental hygiene workers or community dental health educators. Okay, um, But the need is so great and the, and the skill is teachable. Uh, and it is certainly a transferable skill set. Uh, that we can, we find that more people just get served. Yeah, is there always a question on what's the government going to think? Yeah. I can tell you for a fact, in India, the health ministry did show up at a community health clinic. We weren't there. The Americans were gone. We'd done our training and left. Okay? But they had a community health clinic and outreach, and the government health people did show up. And rather than be afraid, they were bold. Um, and Pastor Caleb was actually at the conference. He will tell you. They invited them in. Here, watch what we do. Come watch us work. Watch how we sterilize the instruments. Watch how we take care of our people that we are with. And the guy basically walked away and said, you're doing better than our government trained dentists. Keep doing what you're doing. Okay? Just keep doing what you're doing because you're helping people. Peter, uh, that I just told you about in Uganda, the government is fully aware that Peter's working. They're also fully aware he's not a dentist. And how we know that is because the local dentist in Dokolo who happens to be a Muslim fella, has already invited Peter to come work out of his office. And when he has a tooth he can't get out, guess who he calls? And by the way, everybody has cell phones all over the world. He calls Peter, and Peter will go get the tooth out for him. Okay? 
it, it's quite astounding at what our God can do. And I'm constantly humbled uh, at what I'm seeing God do around the world through his people. It, it's just crazy. Well, I mean, Jesus even said it. He said, these things that I do, you will do this and even greater things. And until you go and you see these people that had probably no skill to really keep them going do this stuff, you, it really doesn't really fully grab you until you see them taking out a broken root on a lower right second molar. For those who are not in school yet, that's hard, real hard, because you don't have suction and we don't have x-rays in the field. Okay, But until you see a local pastor watch the American guys struggle for an hour and a half or two hours like happened in India and give up and say you're going to have to go to a surgeon in the hospital. And this pastor, meek, mild, quiet pastor comes and says, can I try? And in ten minutes he has a root out that we dug for two and a half hours on. You start to realize, wait a minute, we don't have a corner on the knowledge market. And we sure don't have a corner on the Holy Spirit market. So that, that was that. So good question. Anything else? Any other questions? In the back. You mentioned your training and modules. Yes, John. Tell me more about that. Okay, John's question was a little bit more information about the training and the modules. Um, I will tell you, and let me go to my last slide, and this will probably give you a little, little tip, the last slide you're going to see today. We have a booth. We're in booth 1902 down on the exhibit floor. Come by and we can show you the module. We can show you the chair that we use. Um, we didn't invent the chair. Okay, iTech, who's also an exhibitor here, uh, provides the chair. We get instruments from different sources. Um, but we can show you how that works. It's a five-day. The extraction module, since you asked the question, I'm assuming you're a dentist, right? Okay, the, dental, the extraction module is usually a five-day module where we do a day and a half or two days of didactic work. We go through, we teach anatomy, we teach diagnosis, we teach anesthesia, uh, we obviously teach the technique as best we can, and um, sterilization. And Oh, yeah, history and diagnosis for sure. So it's, it is a pretty thorough didactic uh, regimen for a day and a half. And reviews occur regularly. Okay? But at the end of the first day, they get to numb each other. And for those of us who are in dental school many years ago, we got to do that. Remember? I hated it. But nonetheless, they get to numb each other at the end of the first day. Uh, and that's quite entertaining to watch. Because they've heard theory, and it's all gung-ho about sticking somebody else. But when it comes to them getting stuck by their buddy, it's not quite as thrilling. But it, it's necessary. So many of them get numb on the first day. Okay, and then uh, halfway through the second day, we actually start seeing patients. There will be a demonstration extraction. This, let me show you how practically how this works. And then we'll start with supervision doing extractions. And it sounds scary the first time you're in the field and you're doing it. But it is absolutely astounding to watch God work. And I can't take credit. The guys in the back that have been on trips, that's in the back corner, shaking his head. Because until you see it happen the first time, you're going, there's no way I can teach a guy in a day and a half to take a tooth out, or a lady to take a tooth out in a day and a half. And it doesn't make sense. But with God, all things are possible, and that's something I had to learn. It was, it was pretty impressive. It was a, shake, it was a shaking lesson for me the first time I saw it happen, John. 
Uh, and then we spend the next three days or three and a half days doing extractions. Uh, rarely will you see us step in and take over, though. It's almost always there, let me guide you the best I can guide you until you get a handle on it. But it's amazing to watch. It's an amazing thing to watch. And then at the end of the, the last half day, they are strictly we are strictly there as spectators because we know the day after we leave, they're going to be doing the work. And so we want to make sure. And we have a graduation ceremony. Obviously, they're being evaluated at every step. And if we find that someone is not showing the, uh, the dexterity or have the ability to do the work, we intervene. We're not going to allow anyone to be hurt. And you've got to know this. We teach excellence. There's no, there's no, well, just go ahead and, and yank that thing out and let them go, okay? The first and foremost thing we teach is don't hurt. Don't hurt your patient, okay? Uh, you students are going to learn that. If you, if you can get a reputation for not hurting your patients, you're going to do really, really well in this profession, okay? But that's one of the things we teach them. And, of course, a lot of government dentists don't even do anesthesia. We learned that one, too. Um, so we're actually teaching them a skill they didn't have. Question or comment? Yes, yes. Uh, we do talk about, uh, thanks, Linda. The other thing we talk about is case selection. We don't turn them loose on impacted thirds, okay? Now, matter of fact, when I'm teaching, when I'm the lead dentist, I teach them we don't take out thirds because I don't even want them to take it out of what looks to be an easy third and them get really cocky when I'm gone and then snap a mandible, okay? Things that we know inherently from being in dental school and, and, and experience some cases, I mean, golly, I teach in a residency program. There's, there's cases I don't want my residents touching, right? And they've been through school and, and, and uh, experience. So, yeah, thank you for that comment. There was another question somewhere. Yes, John. Uh, yeah, I assume that uh, Peter had good uh, money management skills from what you said. Uh, do you find that there are a lot of them that uh, do not have those skills and that when the time comes for them to buy a new uh, stock of consumables, they don't have the money and don't keep going? And I'm, I'm talking about anesthetic. Uh, uh, and, uh, so the question is, um, he's assuming that Peter had good money skills and had the ability to purchase his consumables, but is that the case across the board? Is that right? Yeah, do they put away the money? Yeah, do they put away the money? The answer is no, Peter didn't have a great skill set. That was taught to. Okay. Now, the thing, a, a, a caveat, most of the people we train are connected to a ministry. Okay. They're hooked to a ministry. They're not just rogue people and we turn them loose in the community. Most all these people that we've worked with anyway work for a larger ministry who may have oversight and so we try to teach them to charge so that they can, when they get money for a service, they are taught, number one, you tithe back to your church, your local church. You um, save enough to buy consumables like anesthetic, gauze, gloves, the, the materials you need to, to reproduce what you've done. And then you can have an income. So that is a, that is a skill that... It is taught, a lot of times the ministry is giving them oversight there that we've worked with. But that is, and I'm glad you brought that up, uh, that is a, an area that I want us to start partnering with business microenterprise because there's people in America who go and teach microenterprise to other 
ministries around the world. A little money, yeah. When they're used to living hand to mouth, sometimes it's real easy to think, hey, wow, look at this money I've got and lose sight of the fact that you may need to buy. That's not something that I've heard of being a problem because I think most of the time they're hooked to a ministry. Is that your observation in the back, Linda? Is the same? Yeah, Linda's been doing this longer than I have and she can, she can attest to that. That's not something we've seen because most of the time they're hooked to a local ministry that kind of helps them realize that. And, of course, it doesn't take longer they figure it out. You know, look, I can't keep pulling teeth if I don't have gauze and anesthetic. So I better have enough money stored away. But you also got to understand, too, these people are probably a lot better stewards of what God gives them than we are, too. It's just they haven't had money. Okay? They have to learn stewardship to survive with food. So when they pray, give us this day our daily bread, most of them mean it. And so they already have a good grasp on overall stewardship. That's a good question, though. Did I answer your question, though? And you're seeing just the opposite. Yeah, I, I think if you don't discuss it, it can be a problem. Okay, and and what John said, his observation is, is they continue to be dependent on an outside funding source to buy their consumables. And I can tell you from our standpoint, we make it very clear that there will not be an ongoing supply of consumables. So that if they don't purchase their consumables, they're going to be out of business pretty quick. Okay, now, does every single ministry do that? Remember, remember, we don't go in and tell them how they're going to do their thing. There's a couple of ministries that say, well, we're not going to charge for extractions. We're going to support it. And if the local ministry does that, even though we discourage it, then that's still the local ministry is an autonomous group. It's not, you know, they're not tied to the hip to us. I wish... I wish everyone would charge something for the service. Because in our country, we already know what happens when people aren't charged for a service. Right? They miss appointments. They always have more post-op complications. Okay? And it's just more difficult. So, I mean, most of our docs that are, most of our dental health workers that are trained, the hygiene or whatever, they don't charge what the government going rate is. Okay, say an extraction is ten dollars to government. Most of these guys are charging the equivalent of two or three. Okay, but it is something, and it is something that the people in the villages, which don't have much money, are willing to pay. Okay, so they set and they learn quickly. Believe it or not, John, these people learn fairly quickly how um, how they can buy supplies. Charge the fair market value. Business, the business we were taught, well, the business we weren't taught in dental school, but we learned the hard way, most of us. You know, supply and demand, it's a pretty intuitive lesson, and a lot of them are learning it as they start to practice. But it, you're right, you have to be conscious to mention it, and we do talk about that with our partners before we go in. Any other questions? Well, thank you for your attention. Uh, I will be available here for a few minutes afterwards if you want to talk one-on-one. If you're really interested, uh, how you in this room can help. If you want to go on a trip with us, come down to 1902. Uh, if you are medical and you want to work with medical ministries, let us know. We can connect you with our partners. Uh, I would encourage you to go to the exhibit floor and look at what God is doing around the world. Uh, we're in 1902. Stop by. 
We would love to have you go on a trip with us. We would love to have you go teach with us. It will really, really, really change your life. It did mine. So thank you.